Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 149 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, happy to be back in the big chair for today, Thursday, November 12th, 2020. Hope you're all doing well, having a, having a relaxing week, perhaps. What we're going to do today, we're going to talk... Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, specifically in the first half of the show, how one defense in particular out of all the Baltimore games this year has had success against them, as well as sort of a general discussion of where the Ravens are offensively. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about how the Patriots tried to defend them last year and how the Patriots might be trying to figure out a defensive identity right now. Now, before we do any of that, your usual cavalcade of reminders here at the outset, please do follow along with the hijinks on the Bird app, at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Check out the work, variety of places, Matt Waldeman's rookie scouting portfolio, not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, of course, right here at Pat's Pulpit. And of course, follow along. USA Today's Touchdown Wire. I wrote a piece that I'm going to plug here at the outset about the rookie quarterback non-negotiables. Talking about Justin Herbert, Tua Tungo-Valoa, and Joe Burrow. And how in studying quarterbacks right now, and for those of you that are getting ready to start studying quarterbacks for the next draft class, two things I think that are necessary for quarterbacks to have in their toolkit if they want to be successful early and if they want to have sustained success in their careers, mobility and leverage. And what I mean by that is mobility, there's a spectrum of quarterback mobility. Now, at one end of the spectrum, you have Kyler Murray. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have Tom Brady. Tom Brady's not an uber athlete. We know that. But he has the ability to create space in the pocket when he needs to. And then obviously, Kyler Murray, he is a super athlete. But you have to be somewhere in between those two points. If you are not as mobile as Tom Brady, if you cannot create space as a quarterback, you are going to struggle. And then the other thing I think you need to have is an understanding of leverage. So often, the old battle axes like myself that evaluate quarterbacks get all in our feelings when we see somebody that seems to understand the rotation of the safeties and might know the difference between cloud three or skate or stubby or stump or all the variations of coverage that you can see both in the college and the pro games. But you don't really need that. 
Brett Favre didn't have that. But what Brett Favre had was an ability to decipher the leverage of the nearest defender and then put the football away from that person and into a spot where his receiver can make a catch. And so I think you need to have that. So in the piece, you will see examples of each idea from each of those three quarterbacks, and I invite you to check that out. Now let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens. And I want to start and really focus on where they are, what they did last week against Indianapolis that seemed to help them, and a game from a couple of weeks ago that might hold perhaps a key to stopping this offense. Now, there have been questions about the Baltimore Ravens and specifically Lamar Jackson over the past couple of weeks. There's a growing fear that Lamar Jackson might be experiencing some kind of regression. And there's a slight murmur in that offensive coordinator Greg Roman might need to up his game a bit. And this was something that I, I had in my mind and other people have had in their minds over the past couple of weeks, seeing this Ravens offense kind of struggle a bit. And those concerns are reminiscent in a way of the 2018 Los Angeles Rams. Now, if you remember the Rams from that year, they were ripping up the NFL, lighting the world on fire. Sean McVay was out there naming off every starter on the Chicago Bears defense, and people were going crazy. He was talking about you know, specific drives when he was an offensive coordinator or when he was in college and rattling off the various plays in succession, and people were losing their minds. But near the end of that year, They ran into a stretch of games against Detroit, Chicago, and Philadelphia where teams started to figure out what they were doing offensively and how to defeat it. Specifically, ignore the motion, ignore the eye candy, play quarters coverage, don't chase the guys going in motion before the snap, and force Jared Goff to beat you. Now, does that sound like what the Patriots then did in Super Bowl 53? Because it's what they did in Super Bowl 53. And when teams sort of caught up to Sean McVay, he then had to figure out, okay, how am I going to turn this around and restructure my offense? And it took a while for him to do that. And honestly, this year, he's really just kind of forced the motion on you again if you're a defensive coordinator. In a way, that's kind of what the Baltimore Ravens are going through, that process of, the league might have figured us out and we have to adjust. We have to adjust to the adjustments. And if you want any further evidence of what I'm talking about, I'm recording this on Wednesday evening. And Lamar Jackson was on with Rich Eisen on his radio show today. And he dropped a quote that is rather telling about where the Baltimore Ravens offense is. He was asked about the offense and the struggles and where they are right now schematically and conceptually. And here's what he had to say. And I'm quoting here from Lamar Jackson. We're going against defenses, and they're calling out our plays and stuff like that. They know what we're doing. 
A lot of that. Sometimes stuff won't go our way if they're beating us to the punch. Watch out for this. Watch out for that. Sometimes that's what's going on. Now, if you hear that as a Baltimore Ravens fan, I'd imagine your heart kind of skips a beat or two. You might feel a little lump in your throat because you've become predictable as an offense. So that's sort of the feeling out process, the adjusting to the adjustments that they have to go through. Teams have figured them out. And so in a sense, this game for New England might come at perhaps the best time or the worst time. Because if you watch their game against the Indianapolis Colts, they struggled in the first half. But in the second half, they went to a bit more of an up-tempo approach. A lot of either quick huddle, you know, muddle huddles, even just no huddle. And it really started to work for them. Things started to click. Lamar started to get into more of a rhythm. And so you might see a lot of that this Sunday night. And in the second half of the show, we're going to talk a little bit more about what the Patriots might do. But now I want to drill down onto this Ravens offense just a little bit. And I really want to focus on a game from a couple of weeks ago against the Cincinnati Bengals. And now the Cincinnati Bengals, not a great defensive team. But they did something in that game to really sort of confuse them. And I'm pulling from a piece I did over at USA Today touchdown wire you can find it and walk along with some of these plays you can watch the video that i did on this game but the ravens really did two things to get lamar to struggle and to really sort of throw off the timing of their offense they got pressure on him with a combination of blitzes and with four and they confused him with some coverage rotations you know, the first play in this package, they've got two vertical routes and a deep out route from the tight end, all from the right side of the formation. And the Bengals drop into basically a spot drop cover four. And if Lamar has time to pull the trigger, he's got the deep out route. Because the two verticals pull the corner and the safety, the deep out route is going to be there. But the right tackle just gets beaten. Pressure off the edge. Guy wins in a one-on-one situation. Lamar can't pull the trigger on that because he's flushed. Eventually makes a late throw and it falls incomplete. So there's an example. Just get in pressure with four. Now, if you saw the Patriots on Sunday night, you might be a little concerned that they can't do that. So keep that in mind. Next play, they've got a chance to hit a deep one. You've got double posts. And they, again, spot drop into a cover four look. But the receiver and the quarterback are not on the same page. Because drop this into a cover four look, Lamar throws it middle of the field. The receiver sort of stays outside on his outside route. Ball falls incomplete. So there's a struggle there. Next play I look at. And this is more of a man coverage situation where they're really trying to set up a throwback element where Lamar sprints out to the right, everything is flowing to the right, and the outside receiver aligned to the boundary runs a deep post working away from it. And it's man coverage, and he's really sort of trying to set up the throwback element. And the problem here is you get a blitz off the edge from the star, from the nickel defender. 
And he has a free run at Lamar. And it forces him to adjust, forces him to try to create, and he can't make a throw. Now we're going to get into how they confused him a bit. If you've followed me, if you've listened to this show for the years that I've been doing various versions of this show, you know how much I love pre-snap motion. As Dan Orlovsky terms it, which I think is such a great way to highlight the benefits of pre-snap motion. You can use it for two reasons. Sometimes you can get both on the same play. For information and for impact. In terms of information, it gives you man zone, things like that. In terms of impact, you get making guys move around to the defensive side of the ball. You can get good matchups. Sometimes you can do both on the same play. But what we're starting to see more of in the NFL this year, and Doug Ferrara has written about this. I highlighted it in the video package here. Are teams showing you either a man response or a zone response, but then doing the opposite? So there's a play here where they get a, the Ravens are going to run sort of a switch vertical concept to the left side of the formation. They bring a receiver in motion from the right slot to the left slot. And he ends up running the sort of wheel route while the outside receiver runs the post. And in response to that, the underneath defenders just sort of slide. And if I were watching this game live, or if I were charting this game, either way, I would write in my notebook, my notepad at that point, M, right arrow, ZR, which is my shorthand for motion zone response. Because I'm seeing these guys slide and I'm thinking if I'm the quarterback, they're in zone coverage. But they end up running man. Because what they do is the free safety in the middle of the field who looks like he's going to be your middle of the field closed post safety. He then picks them up in man coverage. And so you're pre-snap expectations are shattered because they run man, they bring pressure off the edge, and even though Lamar has an opportunity to hit that wheel route, his expectations have been changed by the post-snap reaction of the defense. He doesn't hang in there when he sees the rotation as long as he should. He makes a quick throw under pressure and it falls incomplete. He still has an opportunity to perhaps hit that wheel route. But because now he's seen something different, he artificially speeds himself up, pass falls incomplete. And they do this again. They use motion on another play. They run more man coverage behind it. It changes his expectations. You get a free rusher off the edge with a blitz as well in front of that man coverage. And he makes a throw that's late, not on time, and it falls incomplete. And so that's sort of the key, I think, to stopping this offense and perhaps confusing Lamar a bit is getting some pressure and some rotations in the secondary that sort of reset his thinking in the pocket. Now, can the Patriots do that? Let's talk about their defensive identity and what they tried last year. That's ahead. Here on episode 149 of the Sco Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay. 
Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 149 of The Sco Show. And going to talk a little bit now about the Patriots trying to find a defensive identity here as we get towards the critical stretch drive of the season. And I want to sort of start with some personnel numbers. And I know they're dealing with some injuries and stuff like that. But something sort of stuck out to me watching and then re-watching their game against the New York Jets from Monday night. And if you're watching that game, um, you probably heard them talking about how they're light. They're light up front. There's a lot of sub-packages. And there's, in a sense, some truth to that. But when I go back and chart sort of personnel-wise, they had 54 defensive snaps on Monday night with five defensive linemen on the field. That's counting guys, you know, like John Simon, a defensive end as a defensive lineman. 34 snaps with five defensive linemen. And they were often in sort of a 5-1-5 package with Hall as their one linebacker. So that's not typically what we think of when we think of how the defense, how the New England Patriots defenses go light up front. You know, usually when we think of them going light, it's more of a, you know, a 3-2-6, 4-2-5. It's not a 5-1. And... In many ways, what they were doing was more of a 5-2 from an alignment standpoint because they're bringing Adrian Phillips down into the box. And they were doing this against 11 personnel. They were doing it against 21 or 12 personnel. Um, So they were using it early and often. And that seemed to be something that they've done in the past week or so to figure out, okay, this is what we can do defensively. And now you might think, well, why would why would they do that? Go to their game against the 49ers. They had 52 plays against the 49ers where they had four defensive linemen, and it was a lot of 4-3 stuff. And then they had 16 plays with just three defensive linemen, a lot of 3-2-6. So that's 68 of their plays right there with four or three defensive linemen. So that's a quick sort of change and turnaround. Now, part of it might be, look, you're without guy and you want more guys up front. Part of it might be, you know, you're not happy with what you're getting at the second level. I know there's been a lot of 
consternation about Jawan Bentley and how he's been playing and how he's been performing. So you might think, look, we're going to go bigger bodies up front and get run stoppage, pressure, however you want to term it, with bigger bodies up front. So that's the interesting little switch that I saw from the Niners game to the Jets game. And that sort of begs the question, which might it be this upcoming week against Lamar Jackson? You know, if you think back to how they were defending the run-up to that game last year, how are they going to defend Lamar Jackson? What are they going to do against Lamar Jackson? I talked about a lot of tight stuff, right? What they really tried to do in the start of that game, looking back through it now, was a lot of 3-4 and 3-5. You know, what they really sort of did at the start of that game was a base 3-4. And then they switched after the first couple, first base, basically the first drive, they came out base 3-4. And Baltimore really had success against that. You know, they go down the field, they score. And so then they try, they try this 3-5. Where they go 3-5-3 three, three against their 22 offensive package and say, okay, we're going to go with five linebackers now. And they had success against that. And so what we might see, given this, at least in my mind, is that 5-1 look. Because if you watch some of these plays, like I, I'm, I'm watching a Mark Ingram run right now against this 3-5 package. And yeah, they're using something of a tight front. And they just got bodies on bodies up front. And an ability to immediately get to the second level. Ingram makes a good cut. You get a line linebacker that knifes inside. Perhaps worried on this zone read type of play that Lamar's going to keep it. And he's to the second level immediately. And so re-watching this game makes me think they're going to try to clog lanes up front with bigger bodies. Now, even with this, you know, 3-4 and these 3-4, 3-5 looks, they're still getting five guys in the line of scrimmage, you know, but they're linebackers. They're not defensive ends. And so part of the calculus here might be we're going to clog things up and then rally to the football with athletes rather than we're going to play 3-5, 3-4 and rely on our linebackers. Now, they might have thought last year that linebacker between the defensive front and the linebacker groom, linebacker was a strength. I'd say between those two personnel groups now, the defensive line is a strength, although both have struggled. And so thinking about how they're going to play this game on Sunday night, my thought here is we're going to see more of a 5-1 that we saw against the Jets than the 3-4 and the 3-5 that we saw, or even the 4-3, you know, 4-3 against 49ers a couple weeks ago, 3-4 and 3-5 that we saw against the Ravens from a year ago. And so that's what I think they're going to do. Will I be right? 
We'll see. Do I think I'm going to be right? I don't know. If you're going to ask me to make a prediction about this game, the Patriots are seven-point underdogs for a reason. And while I think in some senses they might be getting Baltimore at the right time in the sense that they're struggling to figure things out, they might be getting them at the wrong time because they may have figured things out offensively last week. And so we'll just have to see. But friends, that will do it for me. Next time we'll be back. I will be back Monday for a post-game show. Until then, friends, stay safe. Check in on your loved ones. Check in on your friends. Check in on your neighbors. Wash your hands. And when you do, sit along and bless those Patriots reigns down in Foxborough.